You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions, and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Tom DiBiase. Tom is the Senior Director of Cyber Operations for Capital One. Now, Tom and I have a slightly different history from well, all of the guests that I've had so far. Tom and his wife, Kelly, actually, were two of the first people I ever met freshman year at American University in Washington, D.C., about years ago. And because uh, we were all on the same dorm floor together, Anderson Hall. Tom, back in the day then, you were a business major at AU, weren't you? I was actually started as a political science oh, major. Oh, poli-sci. Okay. And you stuck with that the whole way through? I actually didn't. I decided it was not my thing. It went into international relations Quickly realized I wasn't going to get a job doing that uh, at that time and pivoted to information systems. Ironic, because, of course, I shifted to the international studies, international relations major. <laughs> but life takes us in all sorts of different directions. And uh, you were ROTC, too, weren't you? ROTC? I, I was for a little bit. That also didn't appeal to me as time went on and decided to uh, to bow out of that. Got it. But we all have a variety of things that we try on and off through college. But so now you're the head of Capital One Cyber Department. So you do cybersecurity and all that kind yep. of fun stuff, right? Yep. I run cyber operations. And so my team looks for attacks against our company, our data, our people, and tries to do as much as we can to prevent it. I don't run cyber for the entire company. That's a, a much larger role. But I've been in cybersecurity my whole career with a few notable exceptions where I was leading technology teams. And it's a very rewarding, very interesting career field, one where you will never be unemployed. And sometimes you kind of wish you would be a little unemployed, <laughs> give up a lot of nights and weekends sometimes. Well, it'd be nice to know that cybersecurity wasn't a necessary thing on top of right. it all. Right. No. So with all of that, then who do you need to influence in the role? Obviously, my direct leadership, it's always the case, my peer leaders. What I found is I spend more time influencing customers. Everybody understands the, the importance of cybersecurity, particularly after what happened last year. But Specifically? The, uh, specifically, uh, Capital One announced a very large breach. Mm -hmm. and where we hadn't done some things we should have, and some data was accessed uh, when it should not have been, specifically our customer data. Mm -hmm. I had been in a different role, moved over into my current role, and have been working to mature this organization for a better part of the last 18 months. And like I said, everybody understands the importance of cybersecurity, but at some point that will wane and the business will want to continue making money for the company. And so my influence I spend a lot of time in is fixing a potential problem or understanding and taking on risk to maybe grow a certain business. It's something that every company does every single day, nothing where we're putting our data or our people or our systems at risk it's just that normal risk-reward calculation that everybody takes. 
Then what's the biggest communication challenge that you or Capital One are facing today? The one I face the most is I, is I work in a very technical field. The attacks that come at us are very technical. They're some of the most sophisticated in the world that, you know, not unlike a lot of big financial institutions see. And so it's translating that into non-technical speak. I spend a good majority of my day, week, month, year working with individuals who know their business and know their responsibilities, but they don't necessarily understand why this country or this group is trying to attack us and what they're trying to exploit. And so I spend a lot of time working with them to understand that this impact comes from this risk and you want to help resolve it because we'll help you make money in the futures. You will be able to go. So who do you need to, the idea of having to explain why certain attacks are coming from different countries, like that's a very big question. Who are you helping to translate or who are you translating this information to? I am generally helping to translate it for my peer senior directors and vice presidents, uh, whether it's in technology or uh, for, for our business partners. I think a lot of it is, for the most part, people just want you, they just want an answer from you. Is this safe or not? And it's not my job to say if it's safe or not. It's my job to present the risk and then work with that individual so that they can make that decision. In the company, we have a concept of the accountable executive, mm-hmm. and they can take risk on behalf of the company. And so I need to explain to that accountable executive, this piece of software that's three years old that you don't want to patch because you've got to create 800 lines of code for that then needs to go through testing is time and money that you don't want to spend because you want to go spend on this particular new business enterprise. Hmm. But the risk from not doing that could put that new enterprise in jeopardy. So helping people to understand the options and the respective risks and rewards for each one. You're not going to make the decision for them, but you'll let them know what is behind each of the options. Exactly. Exactly. Got do you ever find that in those options, you do have a strong opinion? Oh, I, I always have a strong opinion. <laughs> That's the Tom I know and love. Okay. That makes more sense. There's no question about that. but And, and I will give them my opinion, but my opinion only carries so much weight because I cannot take risk for the company. I can present a risk. I can clearly delineate those trade-offs. In my role, my voice carries a lot of weight, but it's not the end decision. Right, right. But you're able to take that and have some influence on those ultimate decision makers by giving your opinion and your explanation or perception as to why option A is better than option B? Absolutely. Then what's a mistake you made along the way, or maybe a lesson that you had to learn the hard way on this learning curve? This is a good one. I, when I worked at Fannie Mae, uh, and this was early on in my, in my cyber career, we contracted with an external company to do some testing of our external networks, common thing most companies do. And I had communicated it with what I thought were all the right people and what was going to happen and during, you know, during these hours, like the full logistics of it. Mm-hmm. And the company that had been doing their testing, everything was fine. And then they came back and said, hey, We think you might be vulnerable to this particular vulnerability. We really, though, need to test it out. And I said, yeah, I mean, everybody knows it's happening. That's fine. Well, they tested out something that took down part of our external network. And this was early 2000s, height of the housing boom at that time. Mm. And Fannie Mae 
fronted technology for thousands of mortgage companies. And that basically brought the company's origination underwriting decisions to its knees for about four hours. Wow. And so, you know. So where was your mistake in this? My mistake was in the assumption that my communication had been enough, that I had pre-coordinated everything, but I had not told anybody else about this okay to go ahead and test this vulnerability. What I learned from it is every time you think you've over-communicated, you haven't communicated enough. Hmm. Keep doing it. Talk to different people. Try different things. And every step along the way, ensure those who need to know have the information about what you're doing. Nobody's left out of the loop. Exactly. Exactly. And you learned, I learned a little bit of thick skin. That was the time my senior vice president told me it's one of the five dumbest things he's ever seen. (laughs) Always something that you look forward to hearing. Yeah. It was probably one of the most embarrassing things I had ever been through, but I learned from it and nobody ever really held it against me. Well, clearly you've done okay. So uh, we exactly. We all tuck our tail between our legs from time to time. We go, you know, lick our wounds and then head back to work. So now what's the next big goal for you, whether personally or for Capital One? And what communication skills will you need to develop in order to achieve it? I think the biggest one is once we get out of everything that we're doing relative to the breach, there will be a natural waning of people carrying every single second every day about cyber at Capital One. Mm. And the spotlight that we have now will wane. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to spend more time fighting for resources and then also describing the impact that we have. Again, we're never going to go back to 10 years ago where like the care is, is very limited. What I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to continue to develop a message that resonates about the importance of constant improvement, constant investment at a time when we might be shifting to other priorities. And who will you have to develop that message for? I'll have to develop it for a lot of the same people I talked about earlier. Obviously, my leadership is always going to understand they are the responsible and accountable parties for cyber at the company. But there are a lot of others that every single day I will be working with. Again, my tech partners are probably the biggest ones because they're going to not have as many resources because they're going to go back and spend more time focusing on the business. And so it's clearly articulating why we still have to fix these problems. And it's going to be different stories I'm going to have to tell. So the same message that I use today is not going to work then. I'm going to have to develop a different message with different reasoning than I've used in the past. Now, you mentioned storytelling, and that's interesting because that's always something that people are, are a skill that people are trying to develop better. What kinds of stories do you need to weave today versus what you think you'll have to weave later? What does a story look like from your perspective? A story a lot of times looks like an explanation of a reason in the listener's perspective. And so I like in this case, I'm going to have to develop ways to articulate why my particular part of cyber is so important in terms of being able to take more risk in the company. And so it's going to be from a financial perspective. It's going to be from how investment in my program improves our relationship with our regulators because we are a heavily regulated company. And in general, the realization that by doing some of these things, a company can take more risk 
that they might not have been take uh, in in the future. And so it's putting together that holistic story of how somebody who doesn't live cyber on a day in day out basis is going to be able to address what they need to address. All right, Tom, this takes us to the listener 24 hour influence challenge. So given everything we've discussed so far, this is your chance to speak directly to our listeners and to challenge them to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence. How do you want to challenge our listeners today? I'd like to challenge your listeners to put themselves in their customer's perspective and whoever your customer is, could be your family, could be something you're doing in your business life, could be your friends, somebody you're trying to influence. And in whatever you're trying to get from them, understand what their, what their motivation is. So not what you want to achieve, but why should they want to work with you? And by doing that, even in a very small thing, even if it's something you do every single day, it will probably make it just a little bit easier for you to, to get your point across, to get them the decision that you want them to make, or just solve what you're trying to solve. So help them understand or try to think about the what's in it for me from their perspective. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So this is an empathy lesson. Everybody out there, and, and it sounds like, Tom, you're using the word customer the way I use the word audience, meaning whoever you're talking to, whoever you're trying to persuade of, to join you or to, to say yes to something. Absolutely. All right. So to your audience, your customer, whoever you're talking to, put yourself in their shoes. You don't have to walk a mile in them necessarily, but you at least have to try them on. That's right. <laughs> All right. I love it. Terrific. And this brings us to our the next part of the interview, which is about how you lead others. When you think about terms like executive presence, otherwise known as leadership presence or command presence, what does it mean to you? It's a tough one. It's one of those things you, you sometimes know better when you see it. Yeah. But I always think people who have executive presence are the ones that can lead a group of people through a difficult situation, no matter what it is. They might hate the decision. They might you know, not agree with it, but they get people through it. And then those people gravitate towards that individual. Yes. Yes. It's, it's often that X factor, right? It's hard to put your finger on and to define it, but you know it when you hear it, when you see it, when you sense it. Or a lot of times it never has to do with people liking that individual, but they will follow them because they understand that the best that's going to come out of it because of that person's leadership. Sure. Sure. And the, the likability factor is always a, a challenge. You know, it's, it doesn't have to be, I like you enough to invite you to my birthday party, but there is a, a something about it that says, I, I will respect them, that you appreciate about them, at least objectively. Yeah. Respect is a really good way of putting it. The respect that's there drives a lot of it. Nice. Now, what about succession planning when you're trying to either hire someone externally or to groom a high potential employee for a higher leadership position? What are some of the most important communication skills that you look for? And on the flip side, what's a red flag that would totally derail that choice? I think the one thing I've talked about a couple of times is the ability to translate. Again, influencing your customers, as you said, your audience. And if you can't do that, you're going to struggle at influencing anybody. I always look for people who are concise and focused. When I do my interviews, I don't need a volume necessarily on some of my answers, but I like them to set the stage, get the point across, ask for feedback. And then lastly, 
I look for leaders who can build a genuine rapport with whomever they're talking to, whomever they're communicating with. Not necessarily about their personality, but they can get across a meaning and it has an impact and the audience will then generally be engaged in the discussion. Sure. That ability to connect with people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I mean, some of the best I've seen are probably not some of the best or the most gregarious. So personality traits don't necessarily have much to do with that. It's more about just being able to do that in the moment. Now you asked about a red flag. I always struggle with people who tend to spend a little too much time talking about themselves and what they've done. It's important in all situations, especially if you want to set that rapport, but realize that if you're trying to be successful at the next level, falling back on what you've always done is not going to make you successful going forward. Yes, agreed. Of course, and that's a fine balance, right? When you're in an interview, for example, you have to talk about yourself to some extent, but to what extent and what details and where is it the pat self on the back a little too much versus walking that fine line. That's right. Now, what about when your direct reports need to bring information to you? They're going to pitch an idea or they need to, your advice on something. What's something that you wish they would do more of or do less of, or more specifically, perhaps a time when they brought an idea to you and you just went, no, they pitched it and it did not go well. What did they do wrong? What could they have done differently? Well, I had a situation like that when I was back in the government and I had, uh, one of my subordinates was looking to pitch a, an organizational change. It was great. I mean, it, it made all sense, but the truth, they hadn't done enough with it. And that was, they hadn't highlighted how it could go wrong and why it could go wrong. And they hadn't talked to any of their peers. And, and this wasn't just sort of a pre-feel-out type discussion. This was a formal presentation. And I listened to it, and then I immediately said, no, we're not going to do it. That person was very surprised by that. And I communicated, like, look, when we go and make this change, because I agree with the change, but you have not socialized this. It's not for me to socialize. It's for you to socialize. And two, you have not talked about how it could fail. And if you don't look at how it could fail and build in those mitigations, you are essentially kind of doomed for it to fail. Assuming it's always going to be positive and always are great and everybody's going to see it from that perspective is not a measure of success, in my opinion. They didn't uh, do a little due diligence, de-risk some assumptions along the way. It's nice to pretend that, oh, no, no, this will be perfect. I don't think there's going to be any problems along the way. But yeah, anybody who's been alive for more than 20 minutes knows that's usually right about when the first disaster occurs. That's exactly went, oh, right. Oh, I didn't see that one coming. That's exactly right. It's like jinxing a kicker. Oh, he, he hasn't missed in 42 kicks and <laughs> he misses the next three. As soon as somebody says those words, take your bets and put them on the other team. That's hedge really, really fast. Go run. That's right. Exactly. Okay. Well, this brings us to the speed round. And these are issues that have regularly come up in my training and coaching that people bring them up where they feel like they're stuck between an either or a lot of black and white thinking sometimes. And they also tend to feel like they're often the only ones who struggle in these areas. And of course, you've gotten to the top where you are now because you were born perfect and you never had any trouble and you never had to learn anything or struggle along the way. So this is a chance to say, no, you know what? You're totally not alone and we're all working through stuff. So I'm going to first give you a choice and I'm going to ask you to answer in a single word or phrase first. And then I will 
follow up with a, an additional question for you to give me a little bit more background. All right. Yep. So first, public speaking, love it or hate it? Love it. Can you give us a tip for managing nerves and speaking with confidence, maybe even when you don't necessarily feel it? Yeah, absolutely. I think if you realize everybody has nerves, then you're not alone. And I think if you also realize you were asked to speak for the most part, you're invited to speak, somebody wants to hear your opinion, use that to your advantage. Be confident in the fact that someone wants to hear from you. Yes, love it. Now, what about, and I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, introvert or extrovert? Where do you fall? Uh, I'm definitely an extrovert. <laughs> <laughs> and this is one of the many things we shared in common right from the beginning. What do you think is one of your strengths being an extrovert? And what's an area for growth as a result of being an extrovert? I think because I gain uh, energy from groups, I can think on my feet and pivot very quickly. That also can work against me. One of the things I've noticed over time is I've started to enjoy just spending a little bit of time just quietly and thinking, but I always tend to solve a situation with my extroverted side. And what so does that I, look I'm, like? What does that mean? It means I react very quickly, sometimes too quickly, which is one, you know, it's one of the things I work on. And I generally go with gut instinct. Mm. And, and so what I'm working on is... I'll never walk away from that, but it's maybe just pause and ask a few more questions, pause and gather a bit more information, or just pause and let things sort of settle and then react. Mm, nice. Yeah, I like to draw the distinction between responding and reacting, right? The reaction is more that sort of reflex. So do first, think second, as opposed to, okay, let's pause, digest, way and then respond a bit more thoughtfully. I'm right there with you. And finally, conflict. Nobody likes it. We all have to deal with it. But when you're faced with potential conflict or maybe a difficult conversation, is your natural instinct, your DNA hardwiring to want to avoid it at all costs or to dive in and address it head on? It's definitely to dive in and address it head on, which is also means something I sometimes work a little too hard on sometimes because because I react if I see conflict, I sometimes bring my conflict attacking side mm. and, you know, a situation sometimes escalates maybe a little further than it needs to. And so I've been working on on addressing it, but addressing it in terms of what's the underlying problem, not addressing the consequences of the conflict, but the reasoning behind it. So get to the root as opposed to put on the topical solution first. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nice. Well, Tom, this has been great catching up with you again. Thank you so much for joining. How can people learn more about you and Capital One? Well, for Capital One, you can follow us on any social media platform, but certainly at CapitalOne.com. Myself, I'm on LinkedIn. You can uh, follow a little bit about me there. And I'll put all this in the show notes, of course, so people can uh, go there to, to find those links. Excellent. And thank you very much. This has been a pleasure. Uh, for, the, for your audience, this is my first podcast, and so it's been a thoroughly enjoyment. Well, this has been a lot of fun for me, too, and I want to thank you for coming. I want to thank our guests for listening in, and to everybody else, if you want to show Tom some love, go to iTunes and give five stars on the rating. So we always love stars as a show of love. 
on the podcast world. So to everybody else who's out there, of course, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And finally, if you want to download my quick start guide to mastering the three C's, command the room, connect with the audience and close the deal, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.